I'm Lars Hammer, the pastor at Lord of Grace Lutheran Church here in Marana, Arizona. Welcome back to the Walk Through the Psalms. Today we're going to continue on Psalm 50. We're going to look at verses 3 through 6. Our God comes and does not keep silence. Before him is a devouring fire and a mighty tempest all around him. He calls to the heavens above and to the earth that he may judge his people. Gather to me my faithful ones who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. The heavens declare his righteousness for God himself is judge. Salah. There's our good old refrain again, Salah. All right. Uh, one of the things that I, I get impressed by when I read through the Psalms is what a sense of awe and wonder they always have and are always calling people back to. They're always saying, turn around, you know, turn around and look around you and uh, open yourself up to some awe and wonder and mystery in our world and, and see where God's been at work. And, you know, we live in a world where I think we don't sit in awe and wonder of things much anymore. We kind of see that as like a childish phase, you know. I was a little kid and, and I didn't know how the car turned on and I was, oh, it was, I, it was such a big awe and wonder to me and now I know it's just an internal combustion engine that mixes gas and air and, and pushes pistons and, now, you know. I think we often look at awe and wonder as kind of something for more simple, childish minds, but as those of us get smarter and more mature, we grow out of that and we develop a stance where we can see things for what they really are and we can just pick them apart and be honest and, you know, we can see that sunset. Why be in awe and wonder of it? It's just, you know, light rays going through dust. It's nothing more than that. Why be in awe and wonder of, you know, a child's first words? It's just electro neuro chemical reactions, etc., etc. And we look on those who have awe and wonder like maybe they're just more simple-minded. And when people see something and experience something that inspires in them awe and wonder and they ask deeper questions from it, we kind of look at them like, hmm, maybe you're just not pulling out the textbook like you need to. Now I would challenge First of all, that, if, that, that, that attitude only sort of seems to go up to a point. Those scientists who are really into the deep mysteries of the universe have a lot of awe and wonder because they stand before a universe in its bigness and its awesomeness, and they get into the mysteries to a point. I think the people who get very, very smug about we should never be in awe and wonder of anything are, are people who are not delving that deeply. That maybe there's a fear that if I, if I allow myself to be open to something with too much awe and wonder that, at that, that it might somehow affect me or cloud my judgment. And I like to think of myself as a person who's in control of myself and my own thoughts and, and who isn't influenced by uh, you know, emotions and simple manipulations. So I try to block out all notions of awe and wonder. I try to say that I've outgrown it. And so when I see things, I immediately try to pick it apart and reduce it to its component parts so that it can be nothing but 
or I can say, oh, it's just. Instead of being able to look at a sunset and go, that's really beautiful, even though I know it's just light waves through dust, right? But then something happens. I think something happens to us as we go uh, through life. And those of us who try to adopt a smug posture, to whatever extent we do it, whether it's conscious or not, and we adopt that sort of smug posture that I am immune from being, uh, you know, influenced by awe and mystery and wonder and truth and beauty. And, you know, I'm, I'm above these things. I just, I'll, I'll take the truth part, but truth is really just, you know, numbers and figures and, and uh, you know, and then something happens in life that kind of shocks you out of it. Sometimes they're good things and sometimes they're bad things. Sometimes they can be horrors that have no explanation or they can be things of beauty and life that have no explanation. And we can try to revert in those moments to some sort of position of there must be an explanation or you just haven't found it yet. But deep down, we know that what we're experiencing in that moment is something bigger and fuller than just anything that we can put a just in front of. And there's an awe and a wonder there that can kind of shake us out of our positions. And the psalmist is always, the psalmists are always trying to call us back to a state where we don't forget that awe and wonder and that in those moments are opportunities for us to begin to see and experience that something more is at work in our life and in our worlds than just figures and numbers. Verse three, our God comes and does not keep silence. Before him is a devouring fire. Ooh, okay. So God, God is not silent. That's the first thing. We don't live in a world where God is not speaking. If you're not hearing God, it's because you're not listening. You've tuned yourself out. You've blocked yourself off. But God is speaking. It says God comes and does not keep silence. So God is present and speaking. And well, is he speaking? Well, he's speaking kind of loudly. A devouring fire, a mighty tempest all around him. So it's an awesome image, right? Kind of scary, lots of vision, an image of power. I don't know why we always draw God as being sitting on a cloud and the devil's always the one who gets the fire. If you go into the Bible, the God's lighting up fire all over the place. But what does he do? He calls to the heavens and to the earth, right? This is a God who, who, who has this a sort of awesome power and he speaks to everything in creation and he calls them all, why? To judge his people, this little group of people. And he says, gather to me, my faithful ones who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. So gather my people together. They made a covenant way back under Abraham and there was, when there was, you know, doves and lambs and things like that, and those were the sacrifices. They weren't, at least for Abraham, uh, a way of buying a price for sin. They were a way of sealing an agreement. And um, sealing an agreement, sealing a covenant, where God says, I will be your God and you will be my people. And throughout history, the people would stop and they would wonder, is God still with us? That was always a wonder. Is God still with us? Is God still speaking? Is God still paying attention? Is God still present? And we can try to wall ourselves off from those things too or deny it. Or we can go about our lives with a certain amount of 
awe and wonder at looking at, at, at beholding sort of the fires and the tempests that we go through and experience and behold those things as opportunities to allow God to speak to us, to allow God to be gathering his people together in those moments. Because what does it say in verse 6? The heavens declare his righteousness. The heavens declare his righteousness. So we're not just looking inside ourselves with a state of awe and wonder. We look at the heavens, right? We're like those scientists. The heavens declare God's righteousness. We miss out when we try to wall ourselves off. But when we open ourselves up to the fullness of life and the fullness of God's presence in it, both in the, the calm, and calm and quiet moments and in the loud and fiery moments, however God speaks, in those moments, God is, God is there and God is speaking and gathering his people together. All right, thanks for tuning in. Uh, this is a little just more reflections on Psalm 50. I hope to check in with you next time. God bless.